I believe in God, the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth. I believe in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who is conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. On the third day he rose again, he ascended into heaven, he is seated at the right hand of the Father, and he will come to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. Greetings, salutations, welcome to another episode of Coffee, the Bible, and Page. I'm Page, your caffeine-imbued host. Here's my caffeine. Mm. In the beginning, coffee. Lo, it was very good. Now, I'm using a green screen, by the way. And today, I happen to pick a coffee cup that has green in it. So if you see the bookshelf showing up behind this, hey, that's a magic of green screen. I'll have a different cup tomorrow. Hope this doesn't bother you. But there's hot coffee in this mug, so it doesn't bother me at all. So, we've closed the book on David. Solomon is now king. He's about 20 years old. He's a pretty young man to be a king. But he's a man. But uh, he's very young. And we're going to see some things through Solomon's life that are going to raise up questions that... I kind of wanted to avoid, to be honest, because they make me uncomfortable. Um, one of the big things that we're going to see, at least from the life of Solomon, is how sure are God's promises? When God promises something, does he take it back? If you don't uh, perform up to his expectations or his demands... Right now, I'm going to say the answer is yes and no. Um, one of the issues that comes to the forefront is something that the Reformed theologians call the, the uh, uh, perseverance of the saints. Baptists would call it once saved, always saved. That once you are in God's kingdom, once you are saved, you cannot lose that salvation. And we're going to see Solomon, who starts off very strong, running with God. And by the end of his life, he's very not strong and not running with God. And what does that say about God's promises? What does that say about God's relationship to us? What happens if we disobey God? These are the kind of things that the story of Solomon is going to bring to the front. And um, as usual, I offer no special wisdom here, no Solomon-like wisdom here, just a guy who is interested in seeing what God's Word has to say to me about me and what God's Word has to say to me about him. I'm going to be thinking with my mouth open, which has been the premise of this whole, this whole devotional series since I started it, couple years ago we're going to read a chapter and i'm going to muse mutter and ponder to myself remember uh in psalms one where it says 
by the way, you can see the scripture. Oop, not there. You can see the scripture right over here where Psalms 1 says, Blessed is the man who delights in the law of the Lord, and in it he meditates day and night. That's all I'm doing here. I'm going to meditate with my mouth open because the word meditate means to mutter, to talk aloud, to talk to yourself. That's kind of where I'm going with all this. So let's start chapter three and uh, let's have a few musings and mutterings about Solomon. Solomon made an alliance with the Pharaoh, king of Egypt, and married his daughter. He brought her to the city of David until he finished building his palace and the temple of the Lord and the wall around Jerusalem. Wow, have times changed. Egypt, Egypt used to be the masters of the slaves, of the Hebrew slaves. And now the king of the Hebrews, Israel, Solomon, cements an alliance with Pharaoh by marrying his daughter. Now there's a interesting thought here. Uh, this wasn't a marriage of love, apparently. Um, the The... The rendering, he made an alliance with Pharaoh, which is kind of what he's talking about. But it says here, he made an alliance with Pharaoh, king of Egypt, married his daughter. That phrase, he made an alliance with Pharaoh, reflects accurately the literal Hebrew phrase, which says, he became Pharaoh's son-in-law. This marriage was more about his relationship with the Pharaoh than it was about Pharaoh's daughter. And... This is one of the first big decisions that Solomon had to make, and he protects his southern border by having Pharaoh and his armies in alliance with him so he doesn't have to worry about incursions from Egypt anymore. Um, this is a common practice among leaders for cementing and maintaining international agreements and securing a nation's borders. The people, however, were still sacrificing at the high places because a temple had not yet been built for the name of the Lord. All right, first of all, uh, the Canaanite practice was to have altars all over the place to all their Canaanite gods. And uh, usually they were at high places, uh, spe special places set aside for worship. Uh, this isn't talking about that. When it says the people were still sacrificing at the high places, there were specially designated places that God gave permission for them to build altars and to sacrifice and to worship at, at different places around Israel. Um, Samuel's hometowns was a place people could go and worship. And by Solomon's time, in fact, by David's time, actually, the actual tabernacle itself, the Moses, the Mosaic Tabernacle was located in Gibeon, but the Ark of the Covenant was located in Jerusalem. The Ark of the Covenant was what would sit in the Holy of Holies in the tabernacle. So things have been split up. And so some people would be worshiping in Gibeon. Some people would be worshiping in, in Israel or Jerusalem, excuse me. And there were different places where altars had been built and that people worship. So people worshiped at the high places, but they're worshiping God at these high places. However, 
there is an issue here which is going to come to haunt haunt Solomon because there were these various high places set aside for worship to worship Jehovah you're going to see other religions, other Canaanite religions start to make their way in because this is kind of like the way they worshipped various high places. And there's a danger when our worship of God, even if we're worshipping God, when our worship of God takes on the semblance of the way the world worships their gods. I suppose this could be a whole nother topic of discussion about the way churches uh, have their worship services. But we have to be careful. The people in Israel were worshiping God at these various high places. But in the generations to come, there's such a similarity between this style of worship and the way that the Canaanite culture worshiped their gods that pretty soon there'd be a syncretism, there'd be a, a melding of the two, and you eventually end up with an abomination God warned against this. And we're going to see the danger in having all these high places to worship God at because pretty soon it's going to look like the way the rest of the world does it. And there's not going to be anything distinctive or different. That's another topic of discussion for another time, I think. But I think you get my point. Um... Last thing, I, I guess I, I read in a, in a uh, study Bible that when the Israelites entered the land of Canaan, they were supposed to destroy all the hilltop shrines, which they did, and build instead their own centers of worship at divinely improved sites. That's approved sites. That's what I just talked about. Destroy the Canaanite places of worship and let them be replaced with true worship of Jehovah at the at various sites. And worship at these sites was acceptable until the central sanctuary was built. So Solomon is going to be building the temple in Jerusalem. And supposedly once that happens, Israel is supposed to abandon worshiping God at all these other high places. We're going to see that's not the case. That's not what happened. Now Solomon showed his love for the Lord by walking according to the instructions given him by his father, David, except that he offered sacrifices and burned incense on the high places. Okay, he's taking elements of worship that were specifically designed by God in the tabernacle and he was taking it outside the tabernacle. For instance, the incense that was burned uh, at the altar of incense, very specific recipe, very specific uh, combination of spices and scents that, that was to be used nowhere else. And here he's burning incenses. He's burning incense at other places. He's starting to make concessions. Ah, oh, it's not gonna do well, Solomon. Not gonna do well. The king went to Gibeon to offer sacrifices because that's where the tabernacle was, the Mosaic tabernacle, for that was the most important high place. 
and Solomon offered a thousand burnt offerings on that altar. At Gibeon, the Lord appeared to Solomon during the night in a dream. And God said, ask for whatever you want me to give you. Solomon answered, you have shown great kindness to your servant. My father, David, because he was faithful to you and righteous and upright in heart. You have continued this great kindness to him and have given him a son to sit on the throne this very day. Now, Lord my God, you've made your servant king in place of my father David, but I am only a little child and I do not know how to carry out my duties. He's possibly only about 20 years old when this happened. And he recognized the humility of his situation. Your servant is here among the people you've chosen, a great people, too numerous to count or number. So give your servant a discerning heart to govern your people and to distinguish between right and wrong. For who is able to govern this great people of yours? The Lord was pleased that Solomon had asked for this. So God said to him, since you've asked for this and not for long life or wealth for yourself, nor have you asked for the death of your enemies, but for discernment and administering justice, I will do what you've asked. I will give you a wise and discerning heart so that there will, be never have, there will never have been anyone like you, nor will there ever be. Moreover, I will give you what you have not asked for, both wealth and honor, so that in your lifetime, you will have no equal among kings. God gave Solomon what he asked for and was so pleased with his response. They said, I'm going to give you things you haven't asked for. Isn't that the way God works? I love it. And if you walk in obedience to me and keep my decrees and commands as David, your father did, I will give you a long life. Now, here is an if-then promise. There are some things that God just promises, period. He promised him... Um, He promised him, I'm going to give you wisdom beyond measure. I'm going to give you riches, wealth, and honor. So there'll be no equal among kings for you. And then he has an if then. If you walk in obedience and if you keep my decrees and commands as David, your father did, I will give you a long life. All right. Well, somewhere down the road, we'll show you. I'll show you the timeline of Solomon's life. Solomon only lives to be 60. He died 10 years younger than his father did. And you're also going to find that he did not keep the decrees of God, that there was a general apostasy in Solomon himself. So this is an if then. Did Solomon lose his salvation? I would say no. He was still chosen by God. God kept him on the throne because that was God's promise. But there are other promises that have the if-then statements. If you do this, then this will happen. And this is it. If you walk in obedience, and if you keep my decrees and commands, I'll give you a long life. Solomon awoke, and he realized it had been a dream. He returned to Jerusalem and stood before the Ark of the Lord's Covenant and sacrificed burnt offerings and fellowship offerings. Then he gave a feast for all his court. Here's a trial of, of his wisdom. Now two prostitutes came to the king and stood before him. One of them said, pardon me, my lord. This woman and I live in the same house and I had a baby while she was there with me. The third day after my child was born, this woman also had a baby. We were alone 
There was no one in the house but the two of us. During the night, this woman's son died because she lay on him. So she got up in the middle of the night and took my son from my side while I, your servant, was asleep. She put him by her breast and put her dead son by my breast. The next morning I got up to nurse my son and he was dead. But when I looked at him closely in the morning light, I saw that it wasn't the son I had born. The other woman said, no, the living one is my son. The dead one is yours. But the first one insisted, no, the dead one is yours. The living one is mine. And so they argued before the king. The king said, this one says, my son is alive, your son is dead. Well, that one says, no, your son is dead and my son is alive. So the king said, bring me a sword. So they brought a sword for the king. He then gave an order, cut the living child in two and give half to one and half to the other. All right, this was, this was a pretty slick move in Solomon's part. A legal tradition in that part of the world, in that culture, stipulates that if a judge could not determine who owned a disputed piece of property, that that property would be split down the middle and half given to each of the supplicants. He was taking that law of real estate and applying it to this situation with this child. The woman whose son was alive was deeply moved out of love for her son and said to the king, please, my Lord, give her the living baby. Don't, don't kill him. But the other one said, no, neither I nor you shall have him. Cut him in two. Then the king gave his ruling. Give the living baby to the first woman. Do not kill him. She is his mother. When all Israel heard the verdict the king had given, they held the king in awe because they saw that he had wisdom from God to administer justice. Solomon's reign gets off to a pretty, pretty good start. Um, he asked the right questions and he recognizes his humble standings before God. And he recognizes that he is not really equipped for leading such a great nation like his father David was. So when he comes to God, he asks God for wisdom. Whew. He doesn't ask for money. He doesn't ask for fame, fortune. He doesn't ask for uh, the massive defeat of all of his enemies. He asks for wisdom to make the right decision, to serve the people that he has become king over. That's a pretty good start to a kingdom. That's a pretty good start to a reign. And that's a pretty good attitude to have. We need to recognize the fact that we're not all that in a bag of chips. Um, when I was younger, I had a much inflated view of myself as a professional musician. I just did. Um, I grew up in a small town in Southeast Alaska and in Southeast Alaska, I was well known as a very talented musician in high school. And uh, it was pretty stinking awesome. I ain't gonna lie. Pretty girls wanted to go out with me. Um, in fact, the only girl that didn't really initially want to go out with me is a girl I ended up marrying and falling in love with. So I guess it really wasn't that effective. But I had an I had an overinflated view of myself. Unlike Solomon, 
I thought a lot of myself. And it wasn't until I left Alaska and got out into the real world of being a professional musician that I began to see that I wasn't all that in a bag of chips. I needed to be put in my place. I needed to be humbled. Solomon humbles himself. That's important. Solomon humbled himself. Unlike me, my circumstances humbled me. But I began to realize that in the overall scheme of things, I'm not that big a deal in the world. Solomon begins his reign with the realization that he really is not equipped to do what he's being tasked with by his father David and by God. And with this realization comes an incredible answer to prayer. God says, I'm going to make you the wisest person the world has ever met. I'm going to give you discernment. Now, discernment is the ability to cut through the outer facade and see the heart of the matter. Discernment, my wife has discernment to a huge degree. Uh, years ago, I was in business with a, a group of guys and we were having fun uh, building this business and it was starting to make a little money and there was an older gentleman that was involved with us and he came to our house once uh, in a meeting and after the meeting's over and everybody gone home, my wife turned to me and says, I don't want you to have anything to do with that older man that came. I said, why? She said, he's a snake. He is not to be trusted. I didn't see that in him, but my wife did. And she turned out to be very, very correct in her estimation of him. And she's always been that way. She has discernment. She sees through the outer facade to the heart of the individual that's standing or sitting in front of her. It's, it got to the point where if I was going to make any kind of a business decision with anybody, I'd find a way to introduce them to my wife. And she would tell me their heart. She is very, very gifted that way. Solomon was given this gift of discernment. He could look through the logical sounding arguments of these two women that were contesting a child and he found a way to get the real mother to identify herself. He knew he had discernment and then he had wisdom to apply that discernment. You know, knowledge is just facts. Knowledge is knowing two plus two equals four. Wisdom is knowing how that's important and how to use that knowledge. Being very smart doesn't mean you're wise. It just means you're smart. You're intelligent, yes. But wisdom is applying knowledge into real life situations. Solomon had that. Solomon had a very good beginning to his reign. Now we're going to find out as we go on that this thing about worshiping in high places is going to be a thorn in the side of Solomon and in Israel from this point on. There's going to come a time where Solomon is going to build the temple and they are finally going to have a central place of worship. There won't be the uh, mosaic uh, tabernacle in Gibeon and the ark in Jerusalem. It's all going to come together. 
in Jerusalem. They're going to have their central place of worship. But the people will not give up their high places. There's going to be a lot of issues about that. And we'll discuss that as we go on. But as of right now, this is a good place to stop. Hello, Solomon. And welcome to my, to my devotional. I'm Paige. Here's my coffee. Hello, it's still very good. And I'm out of here. Have a great day. Bye-bye. Thank you.